So now that I've got your attention, everybody clap once, <laughs> clap twice. That's the best thing. My good friend, Thomas Nettleton, a real deal soccer coach who's not there right now. He's out with one of the kids or something, right? There he is. Hey, coach. That's the best thing he taught me to deal with my fifth and sixth grade soccer team, right? Because, you know, fifth and sixth grade boys are either like, huh, or, ah. Um, and so every now and then, you got to get their attention. And what is it called when we do that? We're getting, you told me you're getting them to like, on the same. You use some fancy phrase like you learned in your master's degree, like you knew what it was. Well, anyhow, it just works. It just works. What? Okay, I'm getting attention there, auditory and kinesthetic. She's got a master's degree in education as well. So let me tell you about yesterday coaching soccer and one uh, of the plays I was just so thrilled about, right? So uh, um, the ball's coming downfield towards our goal, and we've got this guy on uh, defense, Alex, and Alex is the kid you put on defense because he's not quite aggressive enough to be on offense. We're pretty simple. We got five guys across the front. That's our offense. They're one, two, three, four, and five. That's how we call them. We got three guys on defense. They're a triangle, so one guy at the top of the defense, two guys at the back of the defense. So, you know, eight guys on the field and one goalie, right? Nine guys out there. That's how we're set up. We're pretty simple. We tell them what to do. Here's your job. Here's your job. And you coach them, and you want them to go out there and perform in the game, right? And so when they actually do what you tell them, you're like, yes, yes. That's why I'm telling you this story right now. So the ball's coming downfield, and Alex, our defender dude, sees it coming, and he did what we taught him to do. He runs the offensive guy towards the corner, and he's just right with him, and the offensive guy then turns and tries to take a shot, but it's too much of an angle, and our goalie comes out and scoops up the ball just perfect, right? And then the goalie, rather than immediately drop kicking the ball before our offensive players can get downfield a little bit, because he's got a pretty good foot, and he can kick it a good way, pauses for a minute. We didn't even have to tell him to pause, and he's watching the guys get in some green open space, and then he runs up, drop kicks it, and it's beautiful. It's past halfway in the field, and I'm like, yes, yes. One of our guys gets it in the middle of the field, and he's working it down through and kind of loses it. One of their guys gets it. Then he kicks it out to our guy. We got this kid named Jacoby. Jacoby's on the outside. He's one of our strikers. He's fast, and he's got moves and junk like that, right? Jacoby runs it down the left side, and he's like got three defenders on him. And I'm ready to yell at him, cross, Jacoby, cross. You know, so you kick it back to the middle. So some of your guys coming up through the middle have a chance to score, right? I didn't even yell at him, and guess what? Jacoby, left foot, boom, out to the middle, beautiful arching pass, and coming down the middle is one of our big dudes, our three right in the middle, Cadron. The dude is almost as big as me and got a better foot than me. He's running down through the middle, the ball bounces right in front of him, and boom, he launches it, and we're like, Ugh! and it went wide. <laughs> but it went wide like forever. The goalie didn't get back for like two minutes. Our guys are like, well, that was fun. <laughs> the reason I'm telling you this story is that we worked as a team, and everybody did their part. And even though it didn't end perfectly with a goal, I was so proud of my fifth and sixth grade boys because everybody did their part. And everybody did their part, I would say, almost flawlessly, other than the fact that we didn't score a goal. But you know what? We kept trying. And to see from the beginning of the season to now, towards the end of the season, that improvement where they're fitting together and complementing one another. Indeed, we are better together. 
Our final sermon in this series today is about meeting together. Well, yeah, you'd expect this one, that we're called to meet together. We're better together, not alone, not apart, not solo, but together. God created us to meet one another's needs. God created us to work work with one another, to share with one another, to pray with one another, to minister with one another. And we see that again in our passage of Scripture today. But before we get to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, our key text, let's look at our May Scripture of the Month. Our Scripture of the Month reminds us of how we are better together. So let's read it. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. That second sentence is really where we're landing with our Romans text today. That we use the gifts that we've received to serve others. And we're stewards of God's grace in its various forms. A steward is one who cares for something that belongs to someone else. And we're stewards of the gifts that God has given us. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And would you please stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. And we're going to read these verses, Romans 12, 3 through 8. Romans 12, 3 through 8, our key text today. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encouraging. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that by your spirit, you will teach us through your word right now. We pray that we would hear individually the things that you would have us to commit to you, confess to you, and change for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Well, thank you. You can be seated. So your introductory statement on your outline says, as members of a church body, we should exercise. Um, my dear friend Chris Bay back there on the computer said, you know, we need to make some sort of joke about all of us need to walk or uh, bike or something like that, but I'm not as funny as he is, so there you go. It wasn't... A, what's that? Oh, prayer walk, yeah. You could exercise in two ways, spiritually and physically. You could do that. But as members of a church body, we should exercise, and then you've got these statements. The first one is thoughtful humility. We should exercise thoughtful humility. Look at verse 3 in your text, Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given me, so 
Paul's not doing it on his own. It's grace that is given to him. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. We tend to live in a world that glorifies thinking of ourselves, and we all have a sin nature that is full of flesh and self that thinks of itself more highly than it ought. But look at what Paul says. The but is the hinge there in that verse, as it is in every. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul qualifies how we're supposed to think of ourselves. With sober judgment, thoughtfully, conservatively, considerately. With sober judgment in accordance with what the faith that God has given, or it says here, distributed to each one of you. So by the grace given him, he's talking to us. By the faith we have, we're to judge ourselves for thoughtful humility. We've said it before, and I'll say it again, that humility is always welcome, isn't it? Is there ever an instance where you don't welcome humility? Arrogance and pridefulness generally is off-putting, but humility is welcoming to you, and we welcome receiving it. And even that phrase, thoughtful humility, is almost redundant, because humility is thoughtful, isn't it? It's otherish. And remember what otherish is. Otherish is God-powered. It's other-focused, and it's self-sacrificing. It's agape love. It's the opposite of selfish. Otherish is humble. Otherish is who we seek to be as we love one another. What does the Bible tell us? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the... Let's try that again. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the... Amen. So the simple question is, do you want to be on God's side, or do you want to be on your own? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he gives grace to the humble. Your question of application there asks, how do I think of myself? If we're supposed to be thoughtful in our humility, we need to honestly ask ourselves an assessment question of, how do I think of myself? If I'm honest, do I have a pretty elevated view of myself? Am I too busy checking myself in the mirror and looking every time I go by? Are all my stories about elevating myself or am I constantly putting others down? How do I think of myself? Some of us have been around church long enough. We know how to put on our Sunday face and we can fake it pretty well with the I'm fine and how are you and we don't talk about ourselves too much and we try to ask questions when all the time Behind our Sunday face, we're just as judgmental and selfish and sinful and hypocritical, worse than anyone could imagine. We need to consider our thoughtful humility, that it's with by the faith given to us that we judge ourselves soberly. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, listen to what it says. Galatians 6, 3 and 4, you can write that down. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. How many of us deceive ourselves regularly or at least occasionally? Listen to verse 4. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take 
pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Comparison is a thief of joy. As we compare ourselves to others, not to the standard that God has equipped us for, gifted us for, or called us for. And our thoughtful humility judges ourselves correctly, but also then helps us to judge others correctly as well. So that's our first point on our outline from verse 3. But if you go back to verse 4, Romans 12, 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Verse 4, then, we get the point that we have unique functions. That's the second point on your outline, that we have unique functions. Just as my soccer team illustration showed to you, we have unique functions. We've got to have our goalie be the goalie. If we don't have a goalie, we're in trouble. We're going to lose. We've got to have our defenders play and get that ball to the outside or kick it downfield to our offensive guys. We've got to have those. And we've got to have the guys that have the speed and the ability to get down there and take a shot and try to make a goal. But that's just soccer, right? You think about how we work as a church family. I love how it's illustrated every year at this time of year. We've just finished this day of resurrection when everybody has one job, if not five, like I say, and how we fit together and we do things together amazingly and miraculously that we could never do alone, and how in Vacation Bible School in a few weeks, we have so many different people with so many different gifts, talents, and abilities that come together and do things like crafts or uh, you know, even preparing snacks or games or teaching Bible stories, or just shepherding the children and loving them and trying to keep them from punching one another. I mean, whatever you do, we do it together, right? We have unique functions. But then you look deeper than that to the way that our church functions day in, day out. You look deeper than that to the way that God has wired your family and your friends that you can complement one another and bless one another, that we're designed to be different, but we all have the same reason. We're part of the body of Christ. And as part of a body, we work together in a unique way. Your second question there says, where do I fit in with Southview? So I'm asking this in two ways. One is the, how has God gifted you for ministry? What's your shape for ministry? Remember, that's your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, your passion or personality, excuse me, your personality, and your experience, these things that make you who you are, how do those equip you to serve in and through our church body in a unique way that nobody else can, that you're the only you there is, and God brought you to this body for a reason, so you could do things here no one else could. But the other way we can consider that question, of course, is the one your mind probably went to first, relationally. How do I fit in? Do I have a place where I belong? Not just on the place where I sit. You know, if Ryan and Jessica Matzner didn't sit right back in that neighborhood there, I would be like, where are they? And if they said, oh, the Mats, what are you doing over here? If Mark and Karen Pomeroy didn't sit right over there on that pew, I would be like, oh, they must be out of town. But if they were sitting somewhere else, I'd be like, what are the Pomeroys doing over there today? I mean, you guys would freak me out some Sunday if you just, so if you want your spot where you just move around sometime, right? You all tend to have your spot. But beyond your spot where you sit, where do you fit? Do you have a Sunday school class where you're getting to know people? 
Do you have relationships with folks where you're taking it beyond Sunday morning that you're sharing life together? I know some of us are a little more introverted. Some of us want to keep our friend group a little tighter, a little smaller. Others of us are like, hey, I'll be friends with anybody. Come on, let's do something. But God has put us here together in order that we might love one another, in order that we might fit in with one another, in order that we might encourage one another and pray for one another and strengthen one another and all the other one another's in the body. And we have an opportunity here within this safe place, our church family, to do that, where we fit together. So thoughtful humility, unique functions. Let's move on to our third point. And that's verse 5, and that we're designed interdependence. As church, or members of a church body, we should exercise designed interdependence. That by design, we're supposed to depend on one another. By design, we're supposed to need one another. We're not supposed to be able to do it on our own. If you came in the west doorway today, you noticed that on our fancy new uh, opening door there, I mean, how long have we had that? How many months? that it's got a sign on it uh, that says it's broken. Well, you want to know what's wrong? Up there in the top, you know the part when you push the button, you hear the... and it cranks it open, right? There's some little plastic gears up inside that box at the top. And something happened, whether the wind caught it this week, that's probably what happened, as windy as it was, that it stripped out those gears. So if you go out there right now and you push the button on the wall, you hear... but the door won't move. Not because it's locked, but because the gears are stripped. They aren't fitting together the way they're intended. I want to call up the door people and say, could you make some stouter gears than this? I mean, is this supposed to break so we have to call you like once a year to come fix it? Maybe it is. I don't know. But it's designed to be interdependent, that those gears fit in with one another in order to rotate through to make that door open and make that door close. Just as you think about the relationships in your life and you think about our church family, you think about your friends and how you fit together and you can do things together that you are designed to be interdependent, to go together. I don't know all the stuff like my son Seth does, but you know, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you guys have seen them all, right? Iron Man and Captain America and the Incredible Hulk and Black Widow and all the other cast of characters. And when they come together, they can do things that they can't do apart. They've all got, you know, one or two unique Santa superpowers or cool things they can do. And so they work together to defeat the bad guy. And there's always these big epic scenes. And you're like, how many big epic battle scenes can they fit in one two-hour movie or three-hour movie? I don't know. They just keep raising the bar. When's the bar going to stop? But when we think about that designed interdependence, think about what the Bible tells us about how we fit together. What happens to a part of your body if it becomes detached from your body? It's going to die, going to rot, or something like that. That every part of your body belongs to the body. When you pluck a leaf, that's an easier analogy. Off of a tree, what happens to the leaf? Well, it shrivels up. When you pull a flowers up out of the ground and you don't replant them or you don't give them any water, what happens to the flowers? They're going to shrivel up. A body belongs to one another. It fits together. There is designed interdependence. Your question asks, who do I belong to? 
Who do I belong to? I don't mean just our church membership. Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you're visiting our church, considering a new church home, and we're glad you're here. And we pray that through the interactions you have here, God speaks to you. Is this a place where you can belong? But beyond that, closer to you, the relationships in your life. Who do you belong to? That you are or should be interdependent with. That your gears should be meshing together. Sometimes it feels like they're stripped and you need a repairman in there. Who do you belong to? God designed us to be interdependent. Let's go back to verse 5 and see what it says. We haven't read that yet. So Romans 12, 5 says, So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We who are many form one body. Let me read from the message. It's um, a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, but it's helpful at times. And let me read what, how he translated verse 4 and 5 of Romans 12. It says, each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around, right? That each part gets its meaning as a body of a whole. Think about it. If I took off my finger, uh, my finger's going to die on its own. My finger's got to be attached to my hand and everything else for my finger to be able to work, right? Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of His body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe wouldn't amount to much, would we? No, we wouldn't. We get our meaning from the body. God intends us to be part of Christ's body and a local body of believers called the church. That he doesn't intend for Lone Ranger Christians. The first sign of spiritual decline, Rick Warren says, is usually inconsistent attendance of worship services or other gatherings of believers. Whenever we become careless about fellowship, everything else begins to slide as well. That God intends us to be part of this body. And coming together as part of this body to worship, coming together as Sunday school, is part of how God made us in order to grow the way He wants us to. And that's why we ask that question, who do I belong to? Let's move on in your sermon outline. Let's move on in your sermon outline because you need family, you need friends, you need church, you need to belong. Intentional relationships is part of who we are at Southview. But we're thoughtfully humble, we're unique in our functions, we're designed for interdependence. But look at your fourth point there, is that we all have grace gifts. We all have grace gifts. Verse 6, the first part, it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. All of us have gifts, and it's God's grace, and they're God's gifts, and they're given to us for his purposes that we might bless one another, that we might minister to one another. I like what Pastor Scott Skull says. He says, membership in a local church means joining your imperfect self to many other imperfect selves to form an imperfect community that through Jesus embarks on a journey towards a better future together. Sounds like he's been listening to my sermons, right? Now, he, he, he tweeted that about a year ago, and I saved it, and I used it today. But we're all imperfect. 
We're all sinners saved by grace, but according to the grace given us, we have those gifts. And we're going to talk about those gifts in a minute. But we have those different gifts for one another. Not by our effort, not pride, not fear, but love and service and joy and faith. So here's your question on your fourth point. Fourth point and that's, what spiritual gifts do I have? If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I should have had some out on the counter this morning. I'm sorry, but I know where to get them. Uh, we've got a spiritual gift inventory that we can hand you. It's a good old-fashioned paper survey. I'm sure you can find one online if you want to have it score it for you yourself. But one way or the other, take a spiritual gift inventory. And although it is not ordained by God uh, you know, or inspired by God as Holy Scripture, it'll still help point you the direction to say, okay, are these my spiritual gifts? And then you've got to ask a question. Do what I see on the page match up with what I feel in my life or perceive in my life? And ask people that know you, what are my spiritual gifts? Because the Bible tells us that all of us are gifted. You know, when you're born, your natural body... You're going to have certain talents and abilities. Some of us are going to grow taller, some shorter. Some of us are going to have uh, synapses that function a little better and uh, school is going to be a little easier for us or whatever. We're all going to have different abilities. But when you're born again, you're given spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts are to serve God's family. You find those lists in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians 4. Three different lists in the body or the Bible of spiritual gifts. But... As we talk about them, you need to know what they are. That your gifts and how you should use them. So we have unique functions. We have uh, thoughtful humility. We have designed interdependence. We have grace gifts. Look at your fifth point on your outline. Is that we have gifted responsibility. Gifted responsibility. That's 6b, verse 7 and 8. So what's it say there? If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. That is actually proclaiming the truth, not prophesying as is foretelling the future. Not that kind of prophet, but the other kind. And so it's translated there as prophesying in some of your Bibles. Verse 7, if it is serving, let him serve. That's explanatory enough. We know what it means to be a servant, to serve others, to meet the needs of others. And if that's your gift, you should do it. If it's teaching, let him teach. We have a teacher workshop today at 1230. So if you're one of our adult Sunday school teachers, or maybe you're somebody who's considering being an adult Sunday school teacher, you can come to that workshop. We got some lunch for you. I don't know, Pastor David, is it a taco bar? Barbecue, not a taco bar. Okay. We love taco bars. Um, It's barbecue, though, this time. And so it's barbecue, and we're going to learn about being Sunday school teachers and encourage one another as we share together. If it is encouraging, let him encouraging. You know the people that you just like to be around them. Just encouragement seems to come off of them. And you should encourage if that's you. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Some of you just have a heart and a passion to give. And it's cool to watch you give. And you find joy in giving and fulfilling your spiritual gifts. And if it's leading, let him do it diligently. In other words, stand back and let this person go and watch what happens. And if it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Some of us don't have much mercy. We look at things and go, serves them right. And other somebody else is like, oh, man, let me help them. And we're like, why do you help that person? No, but mercy is their gift. Let them serve as their gift. We're gifted with responsibility. Because when you have ability 
And when you have authority, as God gives it to you by the Holy Spirit, as believers in Jesus, you also have responsibility. You've got these three functions that come together, ability, authority, and responsibility. And when God gives you a gift, it's not so you can keep it to yourself. It's so that you can exercise it and so that you can give it away. Have you ever been doing something in the church that, like, it might have been hard work, but you just went, wow, this is cool. I like this. Maybe you've been doing something in your family. And, you know, for others, it might have seemed monotonous or treacherous, or not treacherous, but, you know, tedious is the word I was looking for with a T. But you're like, I just enjoy doing this. Maybe it's because that's part of how you're gifted, part of the way that God created you, and he gave you those gifts, and that you have responsibilities to use those gifts. You are gifted for responsibility. So that leads us to your fifth question, and that's how well do I use my gifts? How well do I use my gifts? You got to know what your spiritual gifts are. And then you are going to be the one to judge the answer to that question, how well do you use them? Now, some of us, if we know you, might look around and go, um, okay, if they use their spiritual gifts, we don't see it happening at church. So maybe they use them outside of church because it doesn't just have to be in church. God's given them to you to bless all people, all times, everywhere, but particularly within the church to bless one another. But maybe you know and can say, yeah, I need to do a better job. I know that my spiritual gift is faith, but I'm not exercising it like I should. I know that I've got a spiritual gift of hospitality, but I don't exercise it as much as I should. I know that I have a spiritual gift to teach, but I'm not being a good steward of that gift. What is your gift and how well do you use it? You've got your Bibles open to Romans chapter 12. Go back and look at verse 1 and 2 with me. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are somewhat famous. You've heard them before. And I want us to consider them by means of conclusion to today's sermon. Because we've talked about using our giftedness and the way God made us in our church body. But let's go back to verse 1 and 2. Look at what Paul says there, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. So because God's been merciful to you, you're going to get urged. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So give your entire self is what Paul is saying. And what is this? If it's a living sacrifice, it is then called holy and pleasing to God. And look at the last phrase at verse 1. It's your spiritual act of worship. So when you give yourself to serve God and serve others, it's an act of worship for you. It may be hard. It may require sacrifice. You giving up control, but it's an act of worship. You're saying, God, you're more worthy and more valuable than I am. God, you are in control. I am not. God, you are God, and I am not. And I am serving you, God. So when you give yourself to God, to others, it's a spiritual act of worship. Look at verse 2. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. This world is selfish, but we are called to be otherish, God-powered, other-focused, and self-sacrificing. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right there, Paul tells you how to be different, how to know how to give your life away, how to exercise your gifted responsibility. That's by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You renew your mind so that you might test God's will by spending time in God's Word, by praying, being sensitive to what He would have to tell you, by serving others and exercising the gifts He's given you, by doing all the sort of things that you expect a pastor like me to tell you to do, right? When you do those things, your mind is renewed, your life is changed, and you're exercising the giftedness He's given you, and you're showing your responsibility for that. You're being humble, like we talked about in verse 4. You're showing your unique functions, like we talked about in verse 5. You're showing that you're designed for interdependence, like we talked about in verse 6. And your grace gifts there, that was verse 6. You're serving others as God intends you to serve. Go back to my soccer team. Yesterday we had a doubleheader. Thankfully it was not as hot as it was originally forecast. We were kind of worried about, woo, the boys are going to wilt out there, you know, and how much Gatorade can you pump into them when it's 90 degrees and 100% humidity and two games and they're not conditioned for that kind of thing, you know. Well, unfortunately, yesterday we lost both games, I'm sorry to say. But we saw things that as a coach, I could say, yes, they've learned, they're working together as a team, we're not always going to win. And so I got them on the bench after the game, and I said, boys, my high school football coach used to say the only bad thing about good sportsmanship is that you only really get to exercise it when you lose. So how are we going to compose ourselves, not talk bad about the other team, not talk bad about the guys on our team that we think let down on a responsibility, but judge ourselves correctly and come back next week and do the best we can in our final game of the season? We're better together. My soccer team is better together. Our church is better together. Your family is better together. You're better together with your friends. God has made us for one another. Let's live that way and be blessed that way. Pray with me, church. Father in heaven, it's an absolute joy to serve a church like Southview. With the gifts that I have and so much more so, the gifts that everyone around me has. That we come together and do amazing things. And the way we love each other, care for each other, and encourage one another. The only thing about that that makes my heart hurt sometimes is that we don't always meet everyone's need in our body and outside of our body. That there's still folks that don't feel completely connected. So, Father, I pray that you help them not to judge others too harshly. That they would have humility in their judgment if they don't feel connected. But I also pray, Father, that you would give them the encouragement to put themselves out there to exercise their friendship, a handshake and a smile, and an invitation to share lunch together and ultimately really to share life together. That we would continue to grow as you've intended us to grow as a body that serves one another, honors one another, loves one another. And as we care for and encourage one another, we would be built stronger 
so that we all can be who you want us to be beyond these walls and beyond the relationships that start here with the people in our life that don't know Jesus as their Savior, that we'd be so encouraged by our relationships within Southview that we can reach out to those people that are outside of a saving relationship with Jesus. So God, our Father, continue to grow us and strengthen us by your Spirit. Give us love for you and love for one another that we might be humble before you and humble towards one another, that we might love you and by our love to you, obey you in loving others. We thank you, Father, for your presence among us today. In Jesus' name, amen.